Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, bold move expert and coming out coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, closet dwellers and bold move makers, it is time once again for Life Uncloseted. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and today we're going to dive into an arena that I'm pretty familiar with and one arena that I'm not so familiar with, but I do step into given where I've come from. And those arenas are mixed orientation marriages and religion, but religion from a perspective of really exploring what it's like to live life in a religious cult. And the reason I say I dip my toe into the religious cult space is because I feel like the religion I was raised in, Seventh-day Adventist, has tentacles into being somewhat cultish. But I also believe that every religion in some way has that characteristic. But when you come from that kind of a life and living a life where that cultish religion and being in a mixed orientation marriage was so emotionally abusive that you begin to doubt yourself, that's when you realize it's time to take a deep look and wonder if this is really a closet that you're stuck in or one that you are ready to come out of. And today's guest, her name is Aideen T. Finola. She is the author of a really, really good book. I've already read through it, listened to it on audio. The book is My Exquisite Purple Life, Insights from a Woman Who Never Should Have Made It But Did. And I can relate to so much of what she talks about in this story and some of it that her and I will probably have some conversations about what it's really truly like to be in a mixed orientation marriage. So it's time for me to shut up and say welcome to the podcast. Um, AD, I'm so excited to have this conversation given the conversations we've already had. So welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. I'm thrilled to be here and very much looking forward to this conversation also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's kind of give the audience like a, a quick overview. I know I alluded to a lot of it in the introduction, but this really is like an interesting life that as the title of your book says, maybe some people wouldn't have made it through, but you did. You came out the other side and you began to thrive after almost four decades of different types of, you know, abuse and emotional abuse. So why don't you just take us through a journey, kind of what happened for you, and then we'll dive into some of the other stuff as well. Sure. Um, so when I was eight years old, oh, probably even a little earlier than that, but I was like five or something, my parents got involved in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, which happened right around the late 60s, early 70s. And then as a result of that, they ended up connecting with a cult that is the type of cult, I can't name the cult, but the type of the cult is, it's called a covenant community cult and to put it in reference for your listeners the the uh show handmaiden's tale Mm -hmm. 
that author based her story on a covenant community cult in mm. Minnesota. So, which was a sister cult to the cult that I was raised in. But to give it more detail, it was um, evangelical, mm-hmm. fundamentalist, uh, charismatic, which meant that we believed in the gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues, praying by the laying on of hands, healings, prophecy, etc. Yep. Um, it was ecumenical, which meant that all of the members retained their individual denominational affiliations of Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopalian, etc. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic within the cult as well. So, mm. um, and then, you know, and it's interesting because I listened to your book as well. And it was, it was so fascinating. And I really, really understood from what you were talking about with your perspective, it's just very, very, it makes a lot of sense why uh, mixed orientation marriages arise out of these circumstances. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, per- the perfect storm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, because you've got, um, you know, those, those churches, those cults, those communities, they have the exact same percentage yep. of LGBTQ people as the general population, right? right. But 100% of those LGBTQ people will be closeted. If they come out of the closet, they have to leave. They're forced yep. to leave. So, yep. as you know, personally. So, you've got 100% of your LGBTQ population is closeted. Then you couple with that for the heterosexual men and women, they are taught such extreme sexual repression and denial and any kind of sexual expression, masturbation, kissing, etc., is all forbidden and it's a sin, as well as they have almost little or no education. So they have no education, no experience, it's all a sin, it's all repressed. Then they cross paths with LGBTQ people inside that community who are 100% closeted, they also themselves have internalized messages of this is a sin and it's unnatural and it's a choice and all the rest of that. So it's just a perfect storm. And that is my ex-husband was not raised in the cult that I was raised in, but he was, he does come from an equally homophobic, anti-gay, conservative, strict Mm -hmm. religious uh, group. In my book, I I said that he was um, Eastern Orthodox, which I had to change things, you know, for people in the book but eastern orthodox is a good swap out for it's comparable mm. to how he was raised mm. so yeah so it was a perfect storm wow and in that perfect storm i'm assuming from at least what i've read in the book um there was a time period that this was just this is what life was this is just how you're supposed to be and um it's kind of hard when you're in those spaces because it's what we now call a lot of gaslighting and, you know, all this other stuff that you're subjected to. And even to have the thought that something should be different. If you verbalized any of that, there was a price to pay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh and that dynamic started prior to my mixed orientation marriage. That dynamic mm-hmm. was in the cult. Yep. Um, I, I have, often referred to it as the emperor's new clothes dynamic. You're probably familiar with that story from childhood. I did feel like I constantly felt like the, the one child who was, you know, saying, but wait, he's completely naked, Mm -hmm. you know, and and everyone else around is, is ranging anywhere from, Oh, we have no idea what you're talking about all the way to shut. Oh, I I probably can't 
Can I curse on your Oh, phone? yes. Oh, God, yes. We, we curse all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, shut, shut the fuck up. You know, shut right, the right. fuck up. His, his, his clothes are beautiful. So there's a, and it's interesting because I noticed this dynamic in your book as well. Mm-hmm. You spoke repeatedly about um, honesty being one of your core values. And, and you even went a little bit further to talk about, as I identify it more specifically, truth telling. Yes. Which is even more precise. And that is definitely something that I have come to to value just doesn't even touch it. Like like it's it's truth telling has become for me like the air I breathe because growing up in that environment where no one was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. They weren't overtly lying, but they were not telling the truth. And then and it to me it felt as if I couldn't breathe because I knew I knew the truth and I was trying and then that dynamic repeated in my mixed orientation marriage where um he interestingly enough i didn't have any knowledge education experience etc to even think of asking him are you gay or are you straight you know yeah i but i do have to say in his defense now he has evolved in in you know you probably picked this up through reading my book yeah has evolved to become a person that I, I don't, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a, a real quality person anymore. To be quite blunt about it, mm-hmm. after my lawyer read my manuscript, he said, "You know, your your ex is a sociopath," mm-hmm. which I'm very clear about in my book has absolutely nothing to do with his homosexual orientation. Right. It has to do with choices that he's made in his life. But in the beginning. Um, when I can think back to him 30 years ago when we first met, I see a different person. And I do feel theoretically that if I had known to ask him point blank, are you gay? Yep. I think that he might not have lied to me. Hmm. Of course, I didn't have the, the, the understanding or the wherewithal to even think about asking that. What he did do, though, was he just did not tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And then, like you talked about the gaslighting, just like as happened to me in the cult, yeah. where it wasn't, when I spoke up and I said, this way of life that you're asking us to live, these rules that you're asking us to follow, these morals, etc., they don't work. They are damaging, they're oppressive, they're abusive, they're, they hurt. I was told... It's your problem. You are not surrendered enough to God's will. You are not, um, you know, you're, you're too headstrong, whatever. It, it became all my fault. And then that dynamic repeated in my mixed orientation marriage because as I continued to express um, my experience of that marriage relationship in all of its dynamics, then I was told, you're a nymphomaniac, you have unreasonable um, expectations about, you know, and when I say unreasonable expectations about what the marriage relationship should be, those things were like, I expected that we might have conversations Hmm. or that he might want to sit next to me on the couch and snuggle. And I certainly, I did expect that we would have sex. Right, right. (laughs) Call me crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, then I got blamed for all of that. It's so interesting, though, as I'm listening to you. And again, I've already, I've already listened to the book, and but now I'm doing this live. As you're speaking, 
it is such a parallel to the entire being in the closet as a, as a gay person, lesbian, bisexual, whatever it's you're told. And, you know, back to the honesty thing in the church, you're told you can't be this, but then you're also told to be honest and be truthful. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) So there's a conflict right there. And then on top of that, you know, this whole thing about, you know, what your expectation of being in a relationship is all about. And then you're told, well, you can't be that you have unreasonable expectation. And I still remember from my own religious experience, the many times that somebody said, well, the reason you're struggling is because you don't have the connection with God (laughs) going. Yeah. But I do, I have, unless there's just something really wrong, which I don't believe there is, but if the, right. uh, you know, I sit here and I have this conversation with God saying, really help me understand this. In fact, as you know, if you've gotten to that part in the book where I talk about being on the beach yeah. saying, okay, God, if this isn't really who I'm supposed to be, then take me away. Here's your opportunity. Take me out right now. What's most interesting is a couple of people have <laughs> sent me e- emails like the lovely little hate emails that we get saying you should not have questioned God and you should not have tempted him to try to take you out. And that's just another version of you not being close enough to God. And I'm just like, I'm, that's your great, that's your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so fascinating as I listen to you because this parallel is identical. And I think this is the thing that sometimes gets missed when we confront these mixed orientation spaces. And especially as the spouse coming out of the closet and this is where I usually get myself in some hot water, so I'm ready to go there, hmm. is we get so consumed in our own coming out journey that we don't look at the blueprint of the person we're in the relationship with to see how they're getting faced with some things in themselves. And it makes it really difficult because we're so excited. We're being truthful. We're being honest. We're doing all these things And whether it be the spouse that you're leaving or other people in your life that suddenly come to this confrontation of, oh, guess what? Rick's gay or, you know, a husband or a wife that's gay. And we're really strong about living our truth and and being the truth teller in our lives. Suddenly the people around you don't know what to do with that. Yes, part of it's because they're being hurt. So I'm going to go back to the spouse space. They're being hurt because what they thought they knew wasn't true. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we miss that piece of we've got to give not only these people time to react (laughs) and to have the hurt and the grief and stuff. But I think what gets missed a lot is we don't give space for us to say, wait, what is it that they're being confronted with that maybe they weren't ready to confront in their own life? Mm -hmm. What I found interesting about your story is you were confronting this because you already had that experience with the cultish religion thing, but it was so not in your purview as your husband started to reveal his truth that it kind of like took you a whole other direction. But yet, even as I read your story, I could hear the essence of, I kind of get this, but wait, I'm not getting this at all. Is that pretty accurate? Um, and what is the this, his sexual? Well, just the, well, no, the, oh, wow. I'm, I'm feeling like I did, in the cultish thing, but I'm trying to put my finger on, okay, but he says he's gay, but yet it's almost like, I feel like in the book, there's like this sense of, okay, he's saying this. And at times it's like, okay, I get it, but 
it's almost like the repeat thing was happening. And I'm just curious, as you started to see the repeat thing happening, like the gaslighting and it's all your fault, when was that point where you go, oh my God, this is happening again. It's just a different story. Oh my gosh. I would say I had so many of those connection points along the way. Now, the gay thing did not show up until there was kind of a slow so build. we yeah we were married for actually 20 years before mm-hmm. you know a full 20 years because of my lack of education awareness because of my isolatedness within the cult until age I was in the cult until I was 23 mm. and we got married and I really didn't know anyone. I didn't, I didn't even know anyone outside the cult, you know, and yeah. there's a huge piece of my life missing in terms of just, uh, I don't even know any 80s music, really. You know, I mm. certainly don't, I don't know 80s movies. And so um, it took me a full 10 years of being married to him before it even crossed my mind that he could be gay. And then mm. when I asked him about it, um, and I believe, uh, tell me where I'm wrong on this, because I believe this will resonate with you in terms of the work that you do and the clients mm-hmm. you work with in your own personal experience. But he was so against the idea and so fractured from who he was. When I first said to him, you know, do you think you're gay? His first response to me was, he goes, are you kidding me? You think I want to take it up the ass? <laughs> and I said, I don't think that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. I think it's about where do you feel at home? Yes. Where do you feel at home? And you know, it's fascinating, Rick, because when you and your book described, uh, forgive me, I'm going to take a bit of a tangent sure, here. Sure. Um, yeah. When you and your book described your own experience, the first time you um, fully experienced a homosexual encounter and relationship, mm-hmm. And I believe it was, um, this is like after you were having your kind of clandestine, you know, yeah, yeah. la la la, I'm not thinking about it, encounters. Um, the way that you described that, I cannot tell you how much I related to that. And here's why. Mm. When I, I was a virgin when I got married. Right. So I lost my virginity to a homosexual man who does not... I used to think that being homosexual means you're attracted to the same sex. It also, to one degree or another, means you are unattracted to the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. So I lost my, and my ex-husband is very, 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 very unattracted to women. So that's what I lost my virginity to. Three or four years into the marriage is when I had my first affair Mm. with a straight man. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I had heterosexual sex mm-hmm. because if we are going to be in agreement on the fact that sexual orientation is a core part of who you are and it's how you are born yep. and it is not based on your activities, yep. therefore the sex that I had with my husband, or ex-husband, was not heterosexual sex just because it occurred between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. So up to that point, although I had been penetrated, although I had technically lost my virginity, I had not experienced heterosexual sex, which was what was natural for me. Mm -hmm. 
when I had the first time that I had sex with the man that I had an affair with, and he is a straight man, I had the exact same experience that you had when you allowed yourself to really yep. embrace that experience. And so, um, so that, you know, when you talk about when did it unravel, that was one piece. So that's like three sure. or four three or four years into my marriage, and yet I still fell into the thing that so many people in society do, which is, well, he can't be gay because, you know, he's married to, to a woman, and he, we have children, and we've had sex, and he can't be gay. So it was a very slow progression for me, and mm -hmm. around about year 13, we completely stopped having sex. Mm. I Basically, what happened was I stopped initiating, and he's I stopped begging for it, and then that meant we didn't have sex mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. he, the only time the only time he ever initiated sex is if I was really really angry with him, mm -hmm. and then he knew that he could use that to break me down. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then when we had been married eighteen years, we had the most bizarre conversation that just spontaneously organically came out of the blue and that was when he came out of the closet to me but then six months later he had run back into the closet and he is still in the closet to this mm. day because as when he came out I said to him if you will be honest with yourself with me and with our daughters mm -hmm. that's all that I ask yeah. I will stay and I will give you the best cover any game, you know, closeted gay man could ever want. I knew his family well enough at that time. I knew how unkind and unloving and unaccepting. I said, they don't need to know. It's none of their business. Nobody you work with me. It's not. And then six months later, he was saying, no, 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 no. Just kidding. I'm straight. And I said, I can't take this insanity any longer. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said to me, if you divorce me, I will find someone else that I can do this to. Hmm. And that, the, it's on those grounds that I yeah. say that he really is a sociopath. You know, yeah. I mean, when you, when you deliberately, it's one thing to be put in the situation that you were put in, like at 19, when you tried to come out to your parents, and yeah. then you buckled under that pressure. And I understand that. I mean, hmm. you know, we are all responsible for our actions. Yeah. In but you take, you take tremendous ownership mm -hmm. of your actions and of your choices in your book, mm -hmm. for which, as a straight spouse, I would just love to say thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I found, I experienced that as very healing. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. You know, and it's interesting when, well, there's a couple of things that you brought up that first I find really fascinating. <clears throat> and excuse me for everybody for that clearing of the throat, but I was a little choked up as she was talking. First of all, I wish more people could embrace just because somebody decides to have sex with somebody of the same sex. And I write articles on this and I have some friends who are very good psychotherapists and even sexologists who we talk about this all the time. Just because somebody decides to have sex with somebody of the same sex does not, does not make them gay, lesbian, or even bi. Right. It can be something that happens and they might enjoy it, but the key, and this is the key, and those who are longtime listeners have heard me use this, this is the question 
I ask every client that comes to do the work. Well, not every client because not every client comes to come out of the closet, but um, I will ask those who are coming out of the closet or think they're gay. What makes you believe you're gay? Mm. And I can guarantee you the ones that tell me why well, I enjoy having sex with men or I enjoy having sex with women. Those are not my clients. Now mm. I know that's a blanket statement. I just threw out there. They may be, but if they can't tell me that they can see themselves waking up doing life day in, day out with somebody of the same sex, right? There's some work that needs to be done. And as a coach, not a therapist, nine times out of 10, I will refer those people to a therapist Yeah. simply because to me being gay, and this is my definition. I think most gay people will say this as well. Sex is one aspect of the relationship. It's the relationship, the day in, day out, knowing that I would rather be waking up next to a man, doing life with a man, arguing with a man, threatening to leave <laughs> because yeah. I'm pissed off at a man, than I would wanting to do that with a woman. It's where do you feel at home? <clears throat> it is. And I love that statement. Where do you feel at home? And mm -hmm. what's unfortunate for people like your ex-husband is they are so wounded somewhere along the way mm -hmm. or psychotic. I will give it that too, that they don't know how to get to that space where they know where they're at home. Mm -hmm. They may dip their toe in it and think, okay, I did this. And for many, many years, as it's a, you know, as we talk about in my book, um, frankly, my dear, I'm gay. I dipped my toe and I was in that space of, Oh no, this is just recreational activity. And I thought that for a very long time. Until I realized at that deeper level, no, this was about so much more. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and to your point about the affair that you had, I love how you positioned it as that was the first time you truly had heterosexual sex. Yes. Because I had sex with my wife and I will have to admit for most of the time that I had sex with my wife, I felt more bisexual than gay because I knew I could do that and it didn't bother me. I did all the sex stuff. Well, not all, but I did a lot of the normal sex stuff with women, everything from going down on her, you know, to, you know, frontal back, all that stuff. I'm a boob man too. I love, I love boobs. I still love <laughs> men's chess. I mean, I'm a chess guy, so I, I'm good with it, but when the incident finally happened where I felt a connection, that deeper connection, I had never, ever felt that connection before. Yeah. Yep. Not with anybody, not with any girlfriends I even dated. Yeah. Was I heartbroken a few times? Yes, but I was in teenage heartbreak. It wasn't, you know, and it was, that was the difference. And this is the thing that you so beautifully share is the difference is in that one moment and unfortunately, I think when people are caught in these mixed orientation marriages for whatever reasons, and there's some shitty people, you know, I've been called shitty about, you know, what I did. I do believe there are some really shitty people. In fact, I work with, have worked with some and am currently working with one that is really on the fence about absolutely knowing they're gay and about to enter into a relationship. Mm. And those are the hardest ones to work with. Right. Because as a coach, I have to stand outside of judgment. Mm -hmm. But for those who may be listening, who are in a mixed orientation marriage or suffered through that, those are the ones 
that I don't give a whole lot of room for because there wasn't intentionality to so much of what they did. There's a whole lot of others that I ask you to give some room to. Now, in this day and age, I'm not as much on that bandwagon because I think we've come a long ways, baby, so to speak, but we have not in so many ways too. And as somebody who went through this, AD, um, I'd, I'd love to just explore a little deeper as a woman. Mm-hmm. And yours, yours is, and then you, I don't want to make light of it, but yours is a kind of a, a different twist on everything because you've got the religion thing, you got the other stuff. So it's kind of like you guys were kind of put in together, as you said, in this perfect storm. But as a woman, when this finally woke up to it, what would you say is the real problem with your guy and why it was a mixed orientation marriage? Why, why did it happen? Not for you, but why, you know, if you could like stand outside of it and look in, why do you believe it really happened? Why do I, if I could put myself in his shoes, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, kind of like, like, Uh yeah, I want you to look at it from that perspective. I know your perspective, why it happened, but you know, for, yeah. I think this is fascinating because this is where the juice begins to really happen. This is where the real stuff comes up. Well, and I do think this is such an incredibly important dialogue between myself as a straight spouse and you as a, as a former gay spouse and now an out gay, an out real life gay spouse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, I wrote a whole chapter in my book that is Mm -hmm. entitled, it wasn't my fault, but it was my responsibility. And this was a tremendous, tremendous life lesson that I had to come to first inside myself. And I believe that the beauty, I I believe that because I had two affairs in my, over the 20 years of my marriage. um, And I believe those happened for a lot of different reasons, but not the least of which was to, so to speak, soil my robes. Mm. So that I did not have such a moral high ground to stand on. Um, And so I myself had to do my own investigating in terms of like, okay, I have committed this sin, which by that point in my life, I did not use the concept of sin as a framework anymore. But still, even society at large doesn't agree with people having an affair. And so I, you know, and I did have all that conditioned guilt and shame left over. And so I had to say like, okay, I have done this quote unquote Mm. horrible thing. And yet, being inside my own body and inside my own skin, knowing that I had my own reasons for doing that and that they were very, they were really driven by deep need and, and a, a deep need for um, healing and connection and et cetera, very expressed in a very sideways way. So when I came to that understanding, you know, so I didn't want to be faulted or criminalized for what I had done. I wanted to be able to stand there and say, but, but, but you need to understand why I did this, you know? And yet I felt so strongly about um, people taking responsibility. So it was like, okay, if I can come to this middle ground of it's not my fault, which then can remove that, um, horrible burden of shame and guilt and self-criticism and self-loathing let's take that off but but still my dear you must be a grown-up 
you yep. must be an adult and you need to own and take responsibility. So, so I understand why you did what you did, you know, and like I, with my affair, I used to say, um, you know, you don't know how hungry you are until you smell the food cooking. I mean, you, you know, we just had that conversation about, yep, yep. about the affair. And so, and so I had to apply the exact same thing to him as much as I did not want to. And I'll be a hundred percent honest about that, that I railed against that. He had abused me so severely and yep, in ways, yeah. I mean, he, he, it was kind of overkill. I mean, I almost committed suicide. I was so abused by him and my parents and I was in such deep depression. Um, so, but I had to turn that around on him and say, okay, it wasn't his fault, but it was still his responsibility. Absolutely. So, and it's interesting because I, at when I speak, because you know, just like you, I'm I'm, right. I'm not a I'm the triple I'm the trifecta the life coach author speaker. Yep, yep. Um, you know, I will always tell people he was born gay, just like I was born a redhead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Plenty of people will try to make that my fault and make it a problem for me being a redhead. Right, <laughs> it's not a, problem. not a problem. And I don't, you know, but he wasn't born a liar. Mm -hmm. you know, and he wasn't born a user and an abuser. And although I will definitely understand that he was set up to in, in an unfair way, the deck was stacked against him to um, to do this the way he did. Yeah, to disproportionately guide mm -hmm. him into the choices that he that he made. Yet no one had a gun to his head. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. it's interesting, Rick, because having listened to your book, um, I so many times found myself thinking, damn, if my ex had taken this route, mm -hmm. we would be friends today. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a tremendous thing for me to say, because I never ever in, in the 30 years that I've known him, I've never felt like he was a friend to me. Mm -hmm. I would be his friend today and I would count him as one of my friends if he had taken the path that you took. Um, you know, and so like, like with your situation, there were, there was pain. There was, there were, if, if I may be so bold, um, yep. wrongs, you know, yep. I mean, I, I, I don't, Absolutely. I don't have that sin model anymore, but you know, and, and yet who gets to, who gets even to adulthood without having made mistakes mm -hmm. or committing wrongs or, you know, or hurting someone else? I have mm -hmm. done all of that. Yep. It is just, it's that finer point of, are you willing to take responsibility for it? And I think that's a big piece of it because, you know, I talked about this, you know, when we first talked and this is always the, it's always the tough space that I get myself into hot water, even saying this, but I'm still going to do it because I know it's what I, I see it. I don't have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. every time I've worked and this is no exaggeration folks every time I've worked with someone coming out of the closet it wasn't just coming out of the closet that was the issue in the marriage there were so many other things mm -hmm. I cannot explain why the coming out of the closet was the catalyst I have worked with a couple of people who got beyond it and then came out and as ironic as this sounds folks and this is again no exaggeration the two, maybe three or four, but I know two that stick in my mind specifically who got divorced, moved on, struggled with their own sexuality, finally came to do the work with me. And then when they finally did the work and they started living their life, 
their ex-spouses through a canary tantrum mm. because they came out of the closet and they immediately turned it. So this is why we got divorced. So it's just, it's a, I haven't, I'm just sharing this because I want yeah. people to kind of think through this again. We all need to take responsibility and sometimes the thing that might seem easier, and I know it's so painful <laughs> for both parties concerned, for whatever reason, sometimes the coming out of the closet seems to be the easier thing to explode <laughs> the marriage, mm -hmm. let's say, then we're not compatible or we don't have the same values or we just are nothing but friends. In fact, I'm coaching somebody right now who's like, I'm in a friendship relationship. And this person isn't gay because I'm in a friendship relationship with my spouse and it's just not enough anymore. Right. And I think it's, it's important. I'm so glad you brought this up, Eddie, about the responsibility piece to even in our worst anger and pain. And I've been through anger and pain with my ex-wife a lot in the last few years over different things to step back and ask, what is my responsibility? What is yeah. my responsibility in this situation? And well, it's a toughie because we, <laughs> we're humans and we don't like to have those conversations with ourselves. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, if I can, um, I'm an answer to that. It, and then you tell me if I've misread or under, you know, whatever. Um, because this is, you have definitely, you know, laid out a real sticking point. Yep. between the LGBTQ community and the straight spouse community when yep. we cross paths in a mixed orientation marriage. Um, and the straight spouse community, and I would actually, I would 100% agree with this, we would say that the fact that our spouse is LGBTQ is a, it, it, it makes, it makes the relationship impossible. Now yes. I know, I know that there are people out there who do try and sustain a mixed orientation marriage. Yep. I am not addressing them in this statement here. Um, and so when you say, you know, why is there no acknowledgement of the fact that there were other issues? That's where I feel like, um, even if, and I do understand what you're saying. Like, I think sometimes people do want to, latch on to that but in my experience especially working with my clients who are straight mm -hmm. spouses when they have latched on to that it isn't a i want to latch on to this so that i can ignore the other issues that may have been apparent because mm -hmm. truthfully from the straight spouse experience i i would say this and i you know we say this as a, as a community is that even if my ex-husband and I were madly in love with each other emotionally, yep. even if we were, uh, we had this beautiful friendship intimacy, even if we were a thousand percent compatible and we finished each other's sentences and all the rest of that, the mm -hmm. fact that he prefers to be with men, the fact that it is not natural for him to desire me mm -hmm. as a woman, the way that it was natural for that first heterosexual man I was with, yep makes any other compatibility mm -hmm. a, moot, a moot point. Yep. Likewise, makes any other incompatibility a moot point. Now, what I hear, and tell me where I'm wrong on this, is that what isn't working is when the straight spouse latches onto that and then is claiming it as um, 
find the right words for it. Not necessarily a get out of jail free card, but a now I don't have to look at any of what's going on inside of me. And they're, exactly. they're claiming they, it becomes their membership to victimhood. Mm -hmm. And my argument, I, I mean, I think you and I will end up in the same place. Yeah, we're in the same space. Destination, maybe with different vocabulary. But mm -hmm. my argument with my clients is it's, I don't ever say to them, you haven't been victimized. Mm -mm. I will say to them, how's it working for you living as a victim? As a victim, yep. How's that working out for you? Mm -hmm. and, and my clients, you know, it's interesting, you talked about, you know, you're, when you have clients come to you and say, oh, I like having sex with the same, you know, the, the same gender, and you go, well, it's not quite the right fit. You're looking for someone who comes to you and says, I need to be with the same sex yes. because that's where I feel at home. Likewise, the straight spouses who are really still immersed in that victim identity and that victim space, they're not my ideal client either. And right. it's not because I, because I will own this shit. Mm -hmm. I, I rocked my victim identity. Yeah. Yeah. I rocked it in my life and I loved it. And I, I, you know, flailed around in my victim identity like a pig in mud. And then I had to get to a place where I went, oh, how's that working for you, AD baby? Right. Yeah. You know, and it's well, and the, and the, so, the yeah. flip side, the flip side to this, and, and you know, you and I could go on forever, but um, we're going to have to wrap up soon. But yeah. here's the interesting piece. I also hold clients accountable for, okay, so if you weren't having sex and finances weren't working and the way you guys were raising kids and the direction you wanted to go in life were as big a problems as your sexual orientation, why the fuck didn't you man up or woman up? Yeah. And leave because of those things. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Like one of the ways that I said it in my book is I said that he did it is on him. Yep. That he did it to me is on me. And I, that's oftentimes my question when I have clients who will say, or, you know, they, they'll say, oh, I really do want to stay. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? Yeah. Why, what is it in you that makes you want to participate? And that's in a big question. Oliver Twist and yes. Oliver Twist existence. Yeah. And I have um, had those questions for my clients and with a few that I've worked with both the spouses together and they both like, we really want to stay. And I'm like, but you wouldn't even be here having this conversation with me if you really wanted to stay and they mm -hmm. struggle. I have one couple in particular that they're still really struggling through this. And I've been in some spaces where, there are groups with mixed orientation marriages that I'm like, I can tell you people aren't really as happy as you would like everybody to think you are. And that's right. that the biggest challenge right there. So, yeah. So as we wrap it up here, AD, um, if you could just live, leave one little tidbit of whether it's around the cult or the mixed orientation marriage or something, you know, maybe something you've learned that has helped you continue to realize this being in any kind of closet just doesn't work for you. What would you love to leave the listeners with? Mm. Um, for me, it's been a lifelong struggle of my authentic self mm -hmm. that wants to be heard. Mm -hmm. The more that I listen to it, the more she shows up and, and, and requires to be heard and requires not to be fettered in any way whatsoever. And all I can say is that's a very, it's a very scary thing to live that way. It's a very scary thing to allow your authentic self to carve your own path 
for you and not according to society's rules and dictates and what the Joneses say and what pastor says. Um, that's a scary thing. Every step I've taken in that direction, I've only gotten happier and happier and more peaceful and more joyful and more able to help other people and have a greater offering. So mm -hmm. I, that's my sales pitch for being authentic. Uh, so, yeah. And whether you're gay, straight, bi, anywhere exactly. in between, that's the perfect ending to really why living life outside of the closet and being truly authentic is well worth it. So, yeah. Adi, I'm so glad you and I met and connected. This has been a beautiful conversation. Again, make sure you grab Adi's book, My Purple Life, Insights for a Woman Who Never Should Have Made It, but did. And um, we'll have all the links and everything on the website for you to connect with Adi. So thanks so much again, Adi, for being here. Oh, Rick, it was wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life on Closet it has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life on closet. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating and review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone. <laughs>